Man, growing up, uh, I enjoyed, I loved scary movies. It didn't matter what kind they were. I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to date myself a little bit. They were still old back then, uh, but like the, the Alfred Hitchcock shows that were like black and white where they didn't really show a whole lot, but they just created a lot of tension. Those kind of shows really got me. And then as I got a little older, got into middle school, uh, high school, there was a series of shows that started coming out. Uh, and some of you uh, older folks uh, may know these. There was one called Night of the Living Dead. Uh, I see a couple of folks shaking their head. It was like a, it was like, it was, it was a zombie movie basically is what it was. And then there was, a, it, in fact, it came out in 68. Then in 78, they brought out another one called Day of the Dead. And then there came another one called Night of the Dead. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed those. I mean, I thought those were awesome. Then along came my wife. <laughs> we started dating. And she was anti-horror movie. She didn't want anything to do with them. And so if I was going to date her, I mean, I had to kind of, you know, I had to shut that part down. And so I did. I shut it down and I didn't, I, I haven't really been involved in horror movies or anything, but Several years ago, a TV series came out that, like, rocked the television world. Uh, the Walking Dead. Oh, I see a lot of people shaking their heads. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it, like, blew up. I mean, it was everywhere. Uh, it was, it, like, Sunday nights, people, I mean, like, we had staff folks, rearranging schedules. I got to make sure I get to small group early so I can be home ready to watch The Walking Dead. Uh, I mean, it's blowing up on Twitter. It was, I mean, it, in fact, I think it was one of the highest rated little TV series of all time. Seriously. Well, I tried to get into it because I remembered what I used to like. And I, I mean, I just, I couldn't do it. I mean, I'm like sitting there, I'm trying to watch the first uh, couple of minutes of it. And then it's not hitting me. I'm not doing it. Staff's, every, staff's getting together, and they're like talking about it. Did you see this? I, I, I'm going to try again next week. I went about three weeks, and I could not get into it. And finally, I got to thinking, I got to get smarter staff on this place. I, <laughs> listen, um, today, we're talking about a church in Revelation. We've been in a series called Seven. And in this series called Seven, what we're doing is we're walking through uh, the, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And what we're looking at is what did the Lord, what did Jesus say to John as he was relating to these seven churches, which is in modern day Turkey, the western side of Turkey. And so uh, we've gone through about four or five of them now. In fact, this will be our fifth one today. The first one we started out with was uh, the church in Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus, they were the loveless church. They didn't, they didn't have any love. You went to the church at Smyrna, and the church at Smyrna, uh, not down the road, but the one in Turkey, they were the persecuted church. Uh, but they remained very, very faithful. Then we went to the church in Pergamum. The church in Pergamum was uh, the compromising church. Then last week, we talked about, I don't know if you remember, Thyatira. And Thyatira was the tolerant church. It was the one that was tolerant. Today, we're moving back down. I told you as we were moving up the northern side, uh, up the north coast, then you started coming back down. Today, we're coming to a little town called Sardis. Sardis 
uh, is, was a very strategic little city, little town. When I say little, it was one of the largers. In fact, it was, a, it was very well uh, strategically aligned. It was in a very unique location. It was kind of in the central part of that western part of Turkey, Asia Minor. Uh, it, there were three different traveling roads, literally traveling roads that met in Sardis. Think I-24, I-65, I-40 coming together. That's what was happening in Sardis. You had these roads coming together. They were coming in from the, from the coast, and then you had stuff coming from the middle of the country headed that direction. It was a very wealthy city. Uh, it was, it, it's, it's an ancient city. In fact, it was, uh, it, was the, it was the capital of a very ancient, ancient kingdom called the Kingdom of Lydia. There was a very, very wealthy and famous king named uh, King Croesus. King Croesus was extremely wealthy. You got to think along the lines of Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, kind of money. Uh, in the middle of town there, there was a river that ran through the city, ran through that city, and gold was discovered there. Uh, king Croesus uh, is credited with being one of the very first kings to actually mint money. Money was, got its very early origination there. They were known for, the, for their trade. They were known as a wool industry, and I want you to catch that. You're going to see that in a few minutes. It was known for its wool industry. So it, to use a little East Texas saying, which is where I'm from, uh, they were fat, sassy. They were flush with cash. This was a rich city. And into that, you've got Jesus speaking to Paul, or speaking to John, and this letter is written and delivered by messenger to this church in Sardis. It's very important that you catch. If you don't catch this, you're, it, very important. All of these churches that we've been talking about, from church to church, may have been 60, 70 miles so they would have been knowing what was going on because they created an association. Uh, uh, from the farthest to the north, from the southernmost one, which we're going to hit called Laodicea, to the northernmost one, which was Pergamum, was about, oh, 165 miles, which sounds, I mean, that's, that is a good distance, but they would have all known one another. They would have known what was going on. These little sects of churches would have known. So it's into this that the Lord speaks, and he sends this letter. And so with that, I'm going to start reading Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1. And I'm, this week, I'm just going to read the entire passage, 1 through 7, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, pen, paper, something, take them out, and let's, let's begin. Remember, Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to the church, and he says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, Write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That is a haunting thing for me, all right? He says, I know your reputation. I know your works, the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Verse 3, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night. 
or excuse me, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and I will never blot out will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. I want to pray real quick before we get started and uh, we'll, we'll keep moving on. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. And I pray that today, God, that uh, it would be your Holy Spirit that is speaking today. May I be a messenger that is faithfully honoring what it is that you have written. And may we have ears to hear what it is that you say to us. It's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Jesus starts with the words, and he says this. Notice in verse 1, he says, uh, the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. Remember, Revelation is full of symbolism all throughout. Some of you have even said to me here recently, hey, I, I want like a little commentary that's easy to understand so I can continue on after we finish in, in chapter 3. Uh, all throughout, all throughout this book, there's full of, of symbolism. And the, the number seven is used everywhere in this book, all right? And when they use the number seven, when that is used, it is a term or it is a symbol for, for fullness or completeness. So here's what is being said. When he says, the one, the, I'm, these are the words of the one who has the seven spirits of the seven stars, what, are, what does that mean? Well, know this, the Holy Spirit, all right? We know this. Whenever you come to a difficult passage in the Scripture and you're reading, you, you can't just take that one difficult passage and then create something out of it. You have to go back and go, well, what do I know then? What do I know for certain? What is clear? And you interpret that passage in light of that, all right? Are you with me? If you, okay. Well, what we know is this, is the Holy Spirit is one, it's not seven spirits, it's one spirit. So what Jesus is saying here is I'm the one who is the fullness of the spirit. I have the fullness of the spirit. And he says the seven stars. We've talked about this before. This was in chapter one, verse 20. Chapter one, I think verse 20, he talks about the seven stars being the seven angels, the seven angels being the seven pastors. So Jesus says, listen, I'm writing this, the one who is writing is, I'm full of the Spirit. I am holding these pastors. I'm holding the angels in my hand. I am the one who has full authority, and I know your works. You remember last week we talked about, and we've talked about this a couple of times, how comforting it is to know that God knows exactly where we are. Jesus knows what we're going through. But that's also, that is also, if we're not careful, it's a very convicting thing that he knows everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. He even knows the motivation by which we do it. He even knows our motivation. Now, typically what happens in these letters is this. There is a commendation. He tells them they're doing something well. And then there's a condemnation where he says, but this I have against you. Now, when in Smyrna, there was no condemnation. It was only commendation. You're doing great. Keep it up. Keep it up. In this church, Sardis, there is no commendation. 
He has nothing that he says to them that you're doing well. He only has a condemnation. He only has a condemnation. And he says this to them. He says, I know your works. I know that you have a good reputation. Now, this is something that if he were writing to a church today, he would say something like this. He would say, listen, you got a great reputation. Your social media accounts, they're blowing up. I mean, church, you're certified. You got the blue check mark beside your, by, beside your Twitter handle. I mean, your Instagram is going crazy. People are all over Facebook. They're posting everything. Your parking lot is packed. I mean, people are trying to get into the parking lot. It's so packed. Listen, the coffee bar continually runs out of coffee. I mean, things are going crazy. And I know it. I see it. You've got a great reputation. Listen, you're probably one of the fastest churches in all of Asia. The pastors, those angels, the stars, the angels, they're going to your pastor and they're wanting to see, they want to know, how is it that your church is blowing up the way it is? Uh, listen, pastor, you're writing all these books, you're going to all these conferences, everybody wants to know. He says, I know your reputation. You have a good reputation. Listen, inside the church, people know the reputation. They have a reputation. Outside, people on the outside looking in go, man, you got a great reputation. But I want you to know this. There's only one. There's only one that really matters, isn't there? There's only one opinion that really matters. And here's what Jesus said. He said, Every, you may think you're doing great. The people on the outside, you've got a great reputation in their eyes, but you are dead. Did you get that? He says, you look alive, but you're really dead. You're like a zombie. You're walking around. You're doing all of the things, but on the inside, you're dead. Folks, listen, I, here, here's, here's something that I want us to catch, and you got to catch this. Remember, when we, talk, when, when we talk about the church, when the Bible talks about the church, it's talking about all of us gathered together. The church isn't an organization. Do you know the church is an organism? It's a living, breathing organism. And it's made up of individuals. So as the individuals, as each of us who say that we've surrendered our lives to Christ, as we go, so goes the community. And so the question today that Jesus is saying is, is look, uh, uh, everyone's got a perspective and Everyone believes that you have a great reputation. In fact, you may even believe that. But I see deep. And I know, I'm telling you, you are dead. Now, wait a minute. I love the book of Proverbs. You've heard me say before, I try to read a proverb every morning, whichever, what, what the day of the, whatever the day of the week is, whatever the, the date is, that's the proverb that I try to read. So if it's Today is the 10th. I'm reading Proverbs 10. Love the Proverbs. Proverbs 22 says that a good name is better than great riches. All right? And I want you to hear me. We, as individuals, we need to have a good name because we represent Christ. We need to have a good name. A good name is important. I even, listen, I want LifePoint Riverdale to have a great name. Out in the community, when people think of LifePoint Riverdale, I want them to think about, we should want them to think, man, that is a great church. They, man, they love the community. 
They are a loving body. There are too many churches in our world. In fact, there are too many churches even in this community that have a horrible name and a horrible reputation. We were just talking about that with somebody just a minute ago. And, and it makes the cause of Christ look horrible. It makes the cause of Christ look horrible. Uh, we want to have a good reputation. Folks, we want to grow. I, I, we should want to grow as a community. I, I, man, I really have a desire to see cars lined up out there trying to get in. I would love for Officer Rigsby to have to be figuring out, how, where am I going to put people? I want people in the parking lot. How, where are we, we going to put them? We need to bust out that back fence back there, get that thing paid. We got to get some people. We got more places. My hope is, is that there's a day when people are standing in line to get in here. They're along the walls. We have to go. I don't know if you remember. Uh, I said this the very first Sunday that I was out here. I said, do you realize that this service right here will one day be the second service? Because we're going to need an 8 o'clock service. We want to grow. We want people to know. We want to have a good reputation. But the thing is, is that you want it to be real. You want it to be real. You, you want Jesus to say, that is a true church. That church isn't just a name only. That's a church whose reputation is real and true. They are alive. They're not dead. But this is exactly what it is that was going on. And he says was happening in Sardis. He says, listen, you got a good reputation. Everyone thinks that, but I know your works. Though you look alive, you are dead. It, it, that causes me, it makes me have to go as someone who is a pastor, who is a leader. And I hope it makes you, I hope the question that you're asking right now is, well, what happened? I mean, how did they get there? Well, I don't, I don't know if we can know for certain, but I think there's some clues that we can check. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, Jesus said, I have not found your works complete. Now, know this. We do not work for our salvation. How do we get our salvation? It's in the finished work of Christ on the cross. But after we receive that, now then, we have work to do. This is awesome. We got three babies up in this room right now. I hope we have more babies up in this room. Some of you guys need to get to work, all right? <laughs> need some more babies in here. Um, I got to get back. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I think in verse 5, you can see something else. It says, I think it becomes a little bit more clear because now he begins to encourage the remnant who, has remained strong, who, who have remained strong. And here's what he says in verse 5. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Compare that with a passage in Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 26. Luke 9, 26. All right. Here's what he says in Luke 9, 26. Jesus is speaking. Remember, Jesus is the one speaking in this passage. He's the one that's going to be speaking here in 9, 26. In Luke, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Folks, I really think one of the things that you can see that possibly might, might be what happened here is, is that they, they had stopped sharing the gospel. The gospel that had saved them, that they had surrendered their life to, they became ashamed of and they stopped talking about it. 
And as a result, what ended up happening is, is they stopped trusting and walking in the gospel. And any church, any follower of Christ that stops trusting in the gospel, I have to ask, did they ever have faith in it to begin with? The second thing I have to ask is, is are we so deep in sin? Have we stopped being so, walking and seeking after the Lord that we've begun to, our hearts begun to harden to where now then it appears that, man, okay, we got activity, but really we're dead or we're dying on the inside. I get asked a lot as a pastor. I get asked when I was a youth pastor, I got asked this. When, uh, as a pastor, one of the number one questions that I get from parents of young kids or teenagers, I get this. How, what, what do I do? What happens? How do we, so that our kids will trust and follow hard after God, what do we do? All that I can ever tell folks is this. Uh, in my experience, in my experience, kids, young adults who run hard after the heart of God, usually, in my experience, come from one of two types of families. You've probably heard me say this before. They either come from a family that is so completely sold out to Jesus. I mean, they are all in. They see the gospel alive in their home. Jesus is on their lips in the the house. Uh, They they see parents praying. They see uh, people being invited into community. They're committed to the fellowship, not because it's something that you check a box like you did on your offering envelope back when, It's because this is life. This is what it's about. This is what we're going to, my life revolves around. He's not something that I add in. He's the center out of which everything flows and is affected. Or they come from a family who Christ means nothing. I don't even know Christ. I didn't didn't go there. And so these kids have seen something so radically different than their own family. They go, I want that. Here's what, I, here's what my experience has been, though. My experience is this, has been this, is that families that just kind of coast along, I can take it or I can leave it. I can get here. I don't have to get here. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I, I'm a Christian. It's more cultural. My experience has been those kids begin to just fade away because they've never seen. They've never seen that. Now, I want you to hear me. Just like Proverbs is a book of principles, it's not promises. Listen, you can do everything so-called right, and your kids still make wrong decisions, okay? That happens. But I want to tell you something. If you want to give your kids a running shot, then folks, sell out to Christ. Don't just let your reputation be that I go to church, but it's that I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Love Jesus. Not, boy, they're a great churchgoer. Boy, they're so committed to life point. Uh, and we want that. I want you to hear that. I want that. But I want the first thing to be said about me and you and this church is this. That church loves Jesus. They love Jesus. And somewhere along the line, I think these folks began to realize or they stopped sharing the gospel. They became ashamed of it. 
Listen, in Sardis, there's been a large synagogue that has been uncovered by archaeologists. So if there's a large synagogue there, what you know is this, is that there had to have been a large population of wealthy Jewish people who helped to put that synagogue up. So anywhere the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus were preached, two things, one of two things happened. There was either revival that broke out or there was a riot that happened. In Acts 17, uh, Paul goes into Thessalonica and he goes, to the, he goes to the synagogue as he would always do. He starts preaching the gospel. As he's preaching the gospel, there are some Jews, not a small number, but a, a good number who surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And they come to the gospel and they, man, they're walking in it. Uh, they get expelled from the synagogue. So they go to the house of a guy named Jason. And the scripture says that uh, a mob got so angry that they went to the house of Jason and they attacked it. And they began to drag him out of that house. I mean, there was a riot that happened. When you read in the New Testament, especially in Acts, you find where Paul had all kinds of issues, didn't you? I mean, where everywhere he went, people got saved and then there was a riot. He was beaten, he was stoned, he was slandered. I mean, and... and the Jewish people were the ones who came after him in, the, in many of those instances. What happened with Jesus? Who, Je, Jesus, a Jew, came into his own and his own knew him not. In fact, they put him on a cross because he preached the gospel to them. Okay? Now, in case you're worried about me being a xenophobe, let's go to the other side. This, these folks lived in a culture, in a Roman pagan culture, where there were all kinds of temples to false gods. Uh, listen, not, not the synagogue, but pagan temples. And so what you have is you have this band of believers in Sardis. If I preach to the Jews, I'm going to be crushed. If I preach to the, to share the good news to the Romans, I'm going to be crushed. And here, this little Sardis church, I believe you can begin to see that they just began to water it down, I think. I think that's quite possible. Uh, they became ashamed of the gospel. The gospel that saved them, they no longer began to speak about. Their times together, their times together became more along the lines of sermons of how to feel good, how to raise great and godly kids, how to, uh, how to have your best life now, so to speak. Uh, let's just make it kind of feel good. Now, I want you to hear me. I need to stop right here. Folks, I'm, this is why it's so, th th this is a hard passage today. You're going, oh, wait a minute, what about the other weeks? Listen, I, I'm going to tell you, when, when the Lord himself, when Jesus himself begins to tell us, as a church, remember, as a community, he's speaking. He says, I know your reputation. You think you're alive, but you're dead. You're You're dead. He says, listen, I think it's quite possible that they forgot the gospel that changed their life. And it becomes very easy as a church to go gospel light, so to speak. Because I want you to know the gospel today is still as offensive today as it was in those days. The only difference is in the Western world, in the United States, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, we're not going to be dragged out and beaten in stone, put in stocks today. Yet the gospel itself is very offensive. And it's so much easier just to 
hey, everybody, come in. Let's, let's talk about a few principles rather than looking at the scripture because no one wants to hear that there's only one way to heaven. Nobody wants to hear about sacrifice, obedience, submission. What? Listen, our world's not built on obedience and submission, is it? Yet the one that we say that we're going to follow calls us to obedience. He calls us to sacrifice. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to get up every day. Take up your cross and follow me. That's an instrument of death and dying. That's an instrument of death and dying. So if I preach shorter sermons, I hear that amen. I see that head shaking. (laughs) If we preach shorter sermons, if we water down the gospel some, if we don't emphasize, hey, being a part of the community, don't worry, you don't need to tithe, you don't have to. Listen, uh, there's no need for, for family worship. If we water things down, yeah, maybe, maybe we grow faster. Maybe people start beating the door down and want to come. Maybe those lines happen quicker. Maybe the walls have gene stains from people leaning against them because there's no seats. But folks, we want it to be real. We want the Lord to look and say, listen, I know your reputation, and it is true because you teach the gospel. Listen, there's nothing wrong with numbers. I want you to know that because uh, Brandy was in the back a minute ago counting. You know why she's counting? Because every person in here, every number represents somebody. It's all about pastoring. It's about leading. It's about shepherding. It's about trying to help. So numbers, there's a whole book in the Bible named Numbers. <laughs> numbers are important, but not if it's not real not if it's not true, not if it is not the true gospel. I want you to hear, I've got a promise I want to make to you. As long as I get to stand right here, we're never going to water down the gospel. We're not going to add to it, but we're not going to water the gospel down because this right here is the only thing. God never promised to bless my words. You know what he promised? He promised to bless his word, the gospel. And so we're not going to water that down. We're, we're, we're not going to seek. You remember last week, if you, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch the, the Thyatira passage uh, that we read and, and talked through. We're not going to stand and throw stones at people who are not here. We are going to lovingly talk to them about the gospel, invite them into relationship so that they hear that Jesus loves you that he laid his life down. He laid his life down for us. Jesus said, though, he said, but there are a few names. He said, look, do you see that? He says, there are a few of you that are still there, and I know their names. Uh, Folks, did you realize that Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, he knows your name. We sing that song right here. He knows your name. And he says, they wear white garments, verse 4 and 5. He says, these folks, they wear white garments. You remember that that whole idea about um, 
about the, the wool and the textile industry known in Sardis. And this is what I love about the, the scripture, especially these, is that Jesus writes to them and he speaks to them in ways that they're going to understand. He says, listen, they're going to wear white garments. White represents symbolism, righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus, not, not my works. We don't trust in our own works. We trust in the works, the finished works of Jesus on the cross. And he says, listen, there are some who haven't bowed the knee. There are some, he uses the language of soiled their garments. He said, they've not done that. They're not filthy. They've not polluted themselves. I know their names. And I want you to hear me today in this very room right here. Some of you today, you're feeling a stirring. You've never trusted Christ. And you know what that is? You know what that stirring is? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and calling your name. Bob, what he's saying is true. Susie, what he's saying is true. Zion, what he's saying is true. I'm not picking on you, just name right there. In fact, if you've surrendered your life to him, the scripture says, if you've truly surrendered your life to him, if you've truly surrendered your life to him, do you realize your name will never be blotted out? The only names, and I want you to hear this, once you have salvation, true salvation, you can't lose that. So this is a promise. They'll never be blotted out. But if you've never had true salvation, your name's never been in there. And is it possible in this passage, he is speaking and saying to them, you need to wake up because you're just a part of a, you're just part of a club. Listen, the church isn't a social club. He says, you're treating it like a social club. And you need to wake up. You need to wake up. He says, I do find encouragement. I want you to look at this. He says, wake up. He's calling out, wake up. And he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. There are some people in here right now that need to wake up. You need to wake up. The person that you've surrendered your life to, the one that you said, Jesus, I trust you, you may be at a point where you're no longer speaking about him, you're no longer worshiping him, he doesn't guide and direct who you are, and the scripture says, wake up and remember, your works are incomplete. What works? Well, the work was the finished work of Christ. I trust you, and now that I walked away, so the question is, is did you trust? Some of you in here, some of you in here, you have trusted Jesus Christ, but you've stopped talking about him. He's not on your lips any longer. He's, no, he's not on your lips in your house. I shared this uh, maybe a week ago. I know I, we've talked about it in, our, in the men's group I'm a part of. Listen, you know one of the reasons I think that we don't talk about Jesus to our friends is because we don't talk about Jesus in our homes we're uncomfortable speaking of Jesus in our home, so why would we ever speak about Jesus when we go out? Wake up. Wake up and remember. He says, keep it. Keep it. 
And then he closes by saying this. He says, repent. Repent. He's closed every week, every letter with repent, except for Smyrna, because there was no condemnation. But he says, repent. You've been going this way. Turn and go this way. And today in this room right here, there are some of you, you, you've never repented to begin with. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. And I want you to hear, he is calling you today. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He desires to invade your life. And he's calling us to respond. There are some of us in here today, we've, we've, we've given evidence of work. And when I say work, the work, the finished work of Christ in us. We've trusted him. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We've walked with him. But maybe you find yourself today in need of waking up. And I'm going to say this. If you're not talking about Jesus, if you're not sharing Jesus, if he's not on your lips, then you need to examine, have I ever trusted him? Is he my Lord? Is he my Lord? I have the board up here, the who's your one. We put up on this board back in September. These are the people I'm fighting for the gospel in my friends' lives. And folks, I want to say this. It is time. Listen, you've been praying. It is time to share Jesus with your one. Let me tell you something that blessed my heart. It's been a week or so ago. I'm standing out there at the, at the Pastor's Connection area, Next Steps. I don't know what we call it, but I'm standing out there, and I'll be standing out there again. Come by and talk to me. That board was behind me, and I, somebody, I just remember seeing out of the corner of my eye, and I could hear the conversation. A guy took another man over to the board, pointed to a name and said, see right there, that's your name. That's my one. I've been praying for you. Inside, I went, oh, no. <laughs> this guy's either gotten really upset right now or he knows somebody cares for me. That man, he acted, brought him with him. And I would bet money that he has now shared the gospel with that man. Folks, it's time. Wake up. Remember. Keep it. Your works are incomplete if we're not sharing the gospel. Has he changed our lives? He says, repent. We we have a lot, we have a, our next baptism service is on Easter weekend. Easter weekend. Folks, listen, we're not responsible for getting people baptized. We're responsible to share Christ. The Holy Spirit does the work that he does, and then we provide an opportunity for people to walk in obedience. But I, here's what I know. People aren't going to get baptized if we're not sharing the gospel. If we're not sharing the gospel, they will not walk in obedience to be baptized as followers of Christ. 
Some of you in here, your next step is to share Christ. Some of you in here, it's to surrender to Christ. Some of you in here today, you need to register for membership class and go find out about who we are more closely and say, I want to be in this. I want in. I want in. We want you in. We want you here. You know, I've not spoken much on the last phrase each week. And the last phrase each week in the passages is always this. He says this, verse six, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, little talk back time. Who wrote that letter? Who wrote it? John wrote the entire letter, but who wrote that, that passage right there? It was Jesus, right? Jesus wrote it. John dictated it. He delivered it. All right. Do you know the very first time that Jesus ever said, he who has an ear, let him hear? The very first time he ever said that was in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is the parable of the soils. You may remember, if you've been a, a, a follower of Christ, you may have remembered the parable of the soils. Someone threw some, they threw some seed out, and the seed fell on, rock, fell on hard path, fell on rocky soil, fell on uh, some of the weeded uh, soil. But it, it fell on one good soil that sprung up, and it says a, a, a 10 to 100 fold, 100 fold was the return. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The seed was good. The word that was planted was good. What, what was he pointing to? The soil. Today, his word is good. Not my word. His word is good. And the seed has been cast today by our singing, by our teaching, and it has fallen on soil today. The question is, is what soil is hearing it? And Jesus says this, to him who has ears, not these, right here, not these, to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. Wake up. Repent. Return. I'm about to offer a word of prayer. and Our response today is this. We're going to take some time and we're going to respond in singing. We're going to respond in a time of repentance. You may want to come up here and be at this altar and just, God, forgive me. I'm returning to you. You may say, I need to surrender my life to Christ. I heard my name called, the Spirit, I heard him call, and I, I, I want to know, what do I need to do? I want to walk with you in that. We're going to respond by giving our tithes and offerings. When I say amen, our ushers are going to come forward, and we're going to pass, and you're going to worship through giving tithes and offerings or putting in that guest card. We're going to worship through singing. God, I, I love you, and I trust you. I trust you. To him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to Riverdale. Father, we honor you and we magnify you. And God, I thank you. God, we do not want to be dead men and women walking around. Father, may we not be a zombie church. May we be a church that is alive. May we be a church that says we, we're yours. We are clay in your hands. 
Mold us, shape us, remake us, crush us. Do whatever you need to do. But we trust you. Today, I pray that you would give people courage in the face of their fear to step out. God, I pray that they wouldn't be able to stay seated or standing in their place, but they would step in obedience in a community that loves them. Jesus, give us courage to obey and to hear your spirit. For it's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things.